Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. We're taking Romans in three parts because it's just that type of chapter that you don't want to rush through it. Honestly, I don't think you can rush through Romans 8. So you'll find that there's times that we'll break up chapters for the sake of really understanding what the Lord is trying to say through those chapters. And the last time, the message was titled, Got Spirit? Says no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Hey, I like to hear that. But the question is, are we in Christ? You know, Romans is a foundational letter. It's a foundational book. So as we go through it, you know, each chapter builds upon the former chapter. The Apostle Paul wrote it in one continuous thought. Did he write it in one evening? Maybe not. But we know that he eventually finished the letter and sent it to the Christians in Rome. And he was speaking to a lot of people through that letter. Uh, in addition to that, last Sunday, Pastor Vinny taught the message titled Bible Illiteracy, which is really a great message because even people who are of the Christian community or culture can be deceived if they're not reading their Bibles. You know, he spoke about what does the word say? And I got to be honest with you, uh, sometimes Christians try to compromise with the world. The world says this, they try to go along with it, and they shouldn't because the Bible says otherwise. I think of even how Romans 1 speaks about nature. Got a lot of things to choose from here. So just a simple example like the bee. I raise bees. I have a hive. And sometimes I'll go into the hive and I open the box and they kind of look up at me. I got to be very gentle so they don't think I'm attacking them because there's a lot of them. <laughs> it's definitely mismatched. But I'll find the bee upside down. His six legs will be holding on to the bottom of the frame. He's just kind of chilling. Um, he's doing a, a variety of things. Maybe he's showing off for me. I don't know. Actually, most of them are females. She might be showing off for me. Uh, but in, in a split second, she can decide to drop down, right herself, and fly and take off. She has four wings. Right? She has four wings. And again, I look at Romans 1, and it says that even in nature, God reveals himself. Did you know that Charles Darwin, during his time, looked at the insect, looked at the cell, especially the inside of the cell, as basically a gob of goo? Because what didn't we have at the time of Darwin was the electron microscope. Well, about 35 years after Darwin died, we were able to look inside the cell and see very interesting things. It wasn't just a gob of goo. We saw the mitochondria, we saw the nucleus, we saw the Golgi apparatus, we saw, you know, uh, lysosomes and all kinds of things inside of the cell and realized even every single cell inside of creation is an intricate, um, complex working machine. So that's why as believers, and again, with Pastor Vinny teaching that message, I loved it because we need to know our Bible. So a lot of Christians are fearful. They send their kids to college or they watch the media and they almost become brainwashed by what they see. Go back into the word. Everything that God made was with purpose and was intricate. In addition, 
Darwin did not have the ability to see inside of the atom. He did not see the nucleus and the electrons whizzing around in orbit around that center part of the atom. And what we found out was that his theory is pretty much useless because he postulated that if, if these things were to happen in these discoveries, then his theory falls apart. However, people today have turned evolution into a religion. That's really what it's become. So I love to look into my hive and look at the bees and see what they do. Do you realize that our F-22 Raptors and our F-35 Air Force, the coolest planes in the world, can't do what the bee can do? Any country who, is ever, who could ever design a plane with four wings like that, that aren't fragile, that can fly at hypersonic speed, would dominate the airwaves. They would dominate the airspace. Um, same thing with the bat. I love bats. I put up bat houses just to watch them and their leathery wings, you know, seemingly defy nature and gravity by almost stopping on a dime and making right, right turns in the air. Planes can't do that stuff. So God's way is always the best way. Uh, certainly, I think as Christians, we should know our word. We should know some of science, right? So that we can have these discussions with people who believe these things, who are following this religion of Darwinism. Today, the message is titled, Your Adoption is Finalized. Now, again, I broke up Romans into three parts. Many people in this church, actually, some of you here today, I'm looking out and I'm seeing you. Uh, many people in our fellowship have adopted children. And when you get that letter, it's, it's, it brings rejoicing. You open it up, and the agency says, your adoption is finalized. So I'm going to take that and make a case for how the Spirit adopts us into God's family and the benefits that come with God adopting us into his family. So we're going to look at this in four parts. I know a lot in the opening there to chew on. Certainly for free, you can go on the website and follow us as we go through the teaching on Paul's letter to the Romans. So jumping in, in verse 12, 8, 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. Why does he say it twice? Because of two different words that carry two different meanings, and I'm going to cover that. So one out of four is the spirit provides adoption. In verses 12 to 13, our debt is to the spirit, not to the flesh. Now, for those that are new to the Bible, new to the terminology, what is the flesh? If we're born again of the spirit, something happens inside of us. Our spirit is revived. It was dead before. We trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that he died for our sins on the cross so many years ago. And God seals us with the spirit. He revives our spirit, which communicates with his Holy Spirit. And that's how he, he gives information to us. It's really a neat thing. But we're born again of the Spirit, but we, you know, the moment we're born again, we can still go like this and realize our skin is aging. 
Our body is aging. So we're still trapped in these bodies of flesh, and I'm going to get into how that's going to change later on. But we've been revived spiritually. So our debt is to the spirit, not to the flesh. Our flesh, our old nature, its only desire is to separate us from God and to destroy us. But the spirit gives life. So you owe, I owe my flesh absolutely nothing. Our flesh carries the spirit around for this temporal season, but one day we'll be freed from it and we won't have that conflict anymore that we spoke about in prior chapters. So we're debtors to the spirit. The spirit also helps us to suppress the flesh so we can walk in the spirit. And it's amazing as a pastor, you get to know yourself very well because you know the word of God. And on any given day, whether it's me or you, you know, we're tempted by our flesh or by suggestions or by the world. And we make a decision almost moment by moment that we're going to follow that temptation or let that trial bring bitterness in us or we're going to follow what the Spirit says. And it's funny, I'll look back and go, okay, I did good that, that time. <laughs> and then times, there's times I don't do good and I have to repent to the Lord. And that's the walk that we have right now. So verse 14, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As a Christian, there should be a marked difference in our lives. Because we're not led by our flesh all the time. Our gratification desires, our comfort desires, we're starting to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, does that mean we're perfect or sinless? Absolutely not. Anyone who tells you that, go to another church because it's not scriptural. We're still going to have, we're still going to make poor choices. But our, there should be a marked difference and the aggregate picture of our lives should be different. So, to be led. Now remember, the disciples were led by Jesus physically. But we now are led by the Spirit spiritually. Verse 15, he says, there's a difference here, and and there's a difference in how everybody wants to live their lives. We can live with bondage, again, to fear, as the Bible says, or we can cry out, Abba, Father. The bondage or the slavery to flesh, self, sin, right? Bondage again, he says. What does that mean? Again, to be repetitive. And some live their lives in this repetitive, dysfunctional lifestyle, but they don't have to. So the Bible really puts its finger on what ails us. It puts its finger on what we're struggling with at the time. Again, to fear. If you talk to anybody in the behavioral sciences, you'll find that anger has its root in fear. Anger has its root in fear. But anger helps the person think to not think that they're afraid. Anger helps a person think that they're not vulnerable. But it's just the covering. The angriest people are living in fear and instability. It's a tortured existence to many who don't know God, but it isn't necessary. See, some of you shaking your heads, right? You Listen, when I became a, a Christian, I look back at my old life, and, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm saying to myself, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, that was me. Everything the Bible said was true about my former life and my life now in Christ, So you have bondage to the flesh, which produces a cycle of fear, anger, and instability. Everything in our culture is about fear. Do you realize that now all the media outlets, I think 95% of them, are controlled 
or run by corporations. Corporations exist to make money. Why is there so much negativity in the media? Because it's the psychology of fear. It's the psychology of bad news. And it's really said in our flesh, we, oh, that's a terrible thing, but we almost engage in it. Right? That's a fleshy thing. So what the media does is constant negativity. Everybody's bad. Everybody's racist. There's going to be race wars. There's going to be global cataclysms. The earth is going to be a desolate wasteland. This is all we hear. How about this one? You'll never find true love unless you act this way, look this way, talk this way. These are the things that we're bombarded with. And this is why we need to get more into our Bible than on the TV or social media. This is where the truth is. So the psychology of bad news, it sells. Fear, fear, fear. It's, it's trafficked continually in our culture. And I, I could swear that there are those forces that are trying to gin it up. And you know what? The church is supposed to be a place where we can see different people come together and have unity. We should be able to defy the media's idea of what our culture looks like. Should be. Doesn't always happen, but that's what should happen talk a little bit more about that before communion. God's alternative is the spirit of adoption. Same spirit we've been speaking of. And I love the Greek because the Greek has a lot of compound words. There's two words they put together and there's elements of both words in that compound word. The Greek word for adoption is huiathesia, which is a compound word and it literally means to place as a child. And that placing is in the family of God. And that's why we can call out Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic, wasn't there a group back in the 70s that were called Abba or something? <laughs> I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> you know, it was all happy music and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, they, they had the idea a long time ago. But Abba is, has Aramaic roots and it literally means daddy. Right, a child who starts to learn, Mama, Dada, Daddy. And some of you are like, man, that's hard for me to comprehend. I can call God Daddy? Yes, you can. So it's not a redundancy to say Abba, Father, because Father is who he is. That's his position, right? Structurally, physically, in, in creation. But Abba is his, is his uh, position spiritually, intimately, emotionally with us. Pretty neat stuff, isn't it? We can read, and this is why I'm not a fan of saying, well, you all need to read a chapter a day. You know, I'm, I'm going to decree that from the pulpit. If you're reading a chapter a day and you're, you're missing this stuff, you're, you're, I'm, I'm doing wrong by asking you to do that. Could be a few verses that really speak to you, right? That really make a difference in your life. And that's why we, we're a teaching church and, church and we go through things line by line. Now, here's, here's a... And, and again, I don't want to just throw things out there. We live in a very dysfunctional culture. Uh, when I grew up, my parents, you know, divorced when I think I was six or seven. And, you know, they played games with each other and, you know, the kids suffered. And you know, my, my biological father, I got saved first and I tried to lead him to the Lord. And I believe before he died, he did come to the Lord. So if you've had a biological father that was not a good dad... This is a learning curve. I get that. I completely understand that. It took me a while, too. If you had a good biological father, you're fortunate, very fortunate in today's culture. But your father in heaven is even more amazing than your biological father could have ever been. So let's, let's make sure we understand that. 
Um, this is an intimate child-to-God-dad relationship. I still remember the days when my uh, son was little and he could, was walking and, you know, we learned a lot of things together. And, you know, just for him to call out to me, Daddy, it just melted my heart. And if you're a parent, you, you know that too. Mama, dad, dad, you know, they just look up to you like you're everything. And we're, we should look up to God like that. Verse 16, continuing on, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And again, that's that bridge. So uh, sinful flesh, holy, perfect God, whose spirit, whose love, whose truth, how do we get there? The Spirit. The Spirit is the one that connects the two of us. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. So the Spirit himself uh, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Seems too good to be true. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. So two out of four is the spirit bears witness that we are heirs. Now, again, different teachings will teach you different things, but you just have to go back to the scripture. Uh, Jehovah Witness teachings teach that the spirit or the Holy Spirit is impersonal, almost like an inanimate force, sort of like electricity. But when you read the scripture, the spirit is a person. The Spirit is someone we can communicate with. The Spirit is someone who reveals things to us. So we we see that in the Scripture as we take the totality of Scripture. And again, this is why the Word of God is so important. So we're adopted into God's family, but it gets better. We get all the benefits that go with it. Now, the Apostle Paul, you got to kind of go back diachronistically into history And you look at the Apostle Paul and what he dealt with and what he experienced, and even some of his analogies that he used. In the Roman world, they had adoption too. And a child who was being adopted, when the legal process went through, it's very interesting, they lost all the rights to their former family, but they gained all their rights to the family who was adopting them. And when I look at us being adopted into God's family, we lose the rights to the flesh, to this body of death that's going to die and decay. But we gain all of the rights to God's family. You can't have both. But that's a good thing because the old life of the flesh and the sinful nature, what does it bring? The wages of sin is death. Death physical death, and then eternal death. It's a double hit. So this, this idea of adoption is very powerful. We're children of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We will enjoy glory with him in the kingdom. Think about that for a moment. So this morning, you don't have to call it out. What's troubling you? After you read the scripture, and he says that, that you can't make the comparison to the things that we suffer here. And that's, that's a hard thing to swallow. Some things in the scripture we really have to digest. You know, I, I, we have a missionary who's coming out. I can't wait to hear him. Uh, he's a missionary in the Middle East. He's an average guy and his wife. And, uh, you know, they're in ISIS territory. And the stories that he tells me are horrible. Horrible. Why would God... Let me get to that. So what you find is that 
You know, the, these are the things that are happening. Verse 17. He says, suffering and then glorification. What? Suffering? <laughs> and folks, you see this. People will come into a church. They're so used to American culture. They're so used to the Christian culture, which is an all Christian. And they'll come into a Bible-believing church and they'll say, are you preaching suffering? Are you preaching trials and tribulations for me? Hey, listen, I'll I'll just rather listen to that TV preacher on Sunday morning because he didn't say any of that stuff. Okay, but that guy's lying to you. You know, you want to be lied to? And there's a a trend. Bible-believing churches that because of American culture is so shallow, people are leaving Bible-believing cultures because they don't want to hear the truth. And they're moving to these ministries and settling in there as their home that preach prosperity and happiness and everything's wonderful all the time and then something happens in their life and they're destitute because they've been lied to and they have no they 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 have no um there's no foundation there and then a lot of people end up back in a bible believing church so suffering then glorification well jesus suffered oh we to think that in this world we're not going to have any problems we're going to suffer too we're going to have trials we're going to have temptations um you know but what does jesus say you can't compare the two. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, and we're in those times, he says, the Apostle Paul to a young pastor, and I almost see him encouraging him. This stuff's going to happen. Get used to it. <laughs> there was stuff that happened to me as a young pastor, and I'm like, but, but it, so idealistic, but I don't get it, Lord. You're in the world. You know, Pastor Joe, deal with it. So um, it says, For the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, carnal desires, worldly desires, today, because they have itching ears. Doesn't mean their ears are literally itching, but it's they seek this stuff out. They will heap up for themselves teachers, And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or lies. And why do some people leave the church? Because they don't know how to leave their their selfishness and their worldliness and integrate with a whole bunch of other people that are different than them. It's again, it's it's a learning curve. So a lot of a lot of people call themselves Christians. They stay home. And they have their repertoire of their favorite video pastors. And there's no discipleship. There's no hard things that anybody says to them about changing, about not being selfish, about whatever this this situation that might be ailing them. And they're just fine the way they are. You know why? Because they don't have to change. But when you put a bunch of sinners together in a church community, sometimes there's some scuffles. The Bible tells us that. You know, and, but, but this, is, this is the reality of this scripture. Verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We can't compare the two. Why? Because one, we can't see the future, and we've never experienced that type of glory. But we're going to. We're going to see that. We live by faith and not by sight. Future glory outweighs present sufferings and again there are when i was speaking to this missionary when he comes you're going to be captivated by what he tells you 
Um, he has to rely on certain scriptures when he sees what ISIS does, what they still do. We're, we, we're in an American bubble. There's some really bad, horrible people out there that do horrible things. But you can't compare this future glory with these present sufferings, right? There's an expression that I put on the church wall. Uh, it was a meme that says, when the church feels it must become like the world to win the world, it hasn't won the world, but the world has won the church. You know, what did the thieves, what did, what did the tax collector, Matthew, who became one of the disciples, right? He was a ripoff artist. He ripped off his own people. He was a sellout. And Jesus comes to him, has limited in interaction. What does Matthew do? He leaves all the money there. He leaves his profession punches his time card, I don't know, and he, he's done. He's done being a tax collector, and he goes to follow Jesus. What about these people who were, you know, thieves and, and the outcasts of society? They didn't see Jesus hanging out with them, you know, getting drunk with them. Jesus was, they, they saw Jesus, and they thought to themselves, that's a, that's a life that I don't know. That's attractive to me. So the church has to stop with the gimmicks and the trying to win the world, becoming like the world. We have to be different. We have to show people Jesus. Because people aren't attracted to us. They're attracted to Jesus. When we shine that light, that's the attraction. It's pretty amazing. Verse 19, last few verses for this. Well, actually, no, I got one more. <laughs> Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation. We're switching gears now to, from people to the rest of creation. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. So when the curse of sin came because of mankind's you know, rebellion against God and bringing sin into the world, unfortunately, the creation suffered as well. So it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption or decay into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So three out of four is not only are we as believers in Christ looking for the Lord to come back and establish his kingdom. But you know what? In, a, in an odd way, and I can't fully explain it, but it says it in here, the creation is looking forward to this as well. Remember, there was paradise. And just like the, the cliche, paradise lost. When sin entered the world, death entered the world, storms and cataclysms and all this kind of stuff came with the, the bondage of decay of the earth because of sin and the rest of creation. So you have paradise you have paradise lost. We're living under the time of creation of paradise lost. We're looking forward to paradise regained. If you followed us uh, through the prophet Isaiah, we spoke a lot about this coming millennial kingdom where the, you know, the lion lays down with the lamb and, and the animals are not at war with each other anymore. And you start to see the creation. The Lord starts to slowly change creation to go back to the way it was in the beginning. It's very exciting. I think the sad thing is that many cultural Christians have made their paradise and paradise lost. That's really sad. Believers who want the best of both worlds. Believers who their whole goal is comfort and uh, enjoyment and pleasure, 
which are not bad things, but if it's at the expense of serving the Lord and, and being close to the Lord and communing with the Lord, then that becomes a problem. You know, it's some Christians want to make their paradise and paradise lost instead of waiting to par- for paradise to be regained. So the Lord has something for all of us. We all have gifts and we should be using them. We definitely should be using them. You know, I love, I just moved to a, a, a house in Ocean County and I got my bees set up. I love my bees, as you can tell. Um, you know, my wife has, she rescues cats, dogs, now horses. Um, so I, lo- I love animals. I-, I can't wait for the millennial kingdom. I'm just such an animal lover, and I can't wait to get, now I wouldn't do it now, close to the carnivores. It won't be carnivores anymore. It's so beautiful. The coloring of a jaguar or a leopard, you know, um, a black panther, their shiny black skin with those green eyes. I'm like, you're so beautiful. But, I, but you're beautiful behind the cage, though. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, not, I'm no lightweight, but I ain't messing with one of those things. So uh, the polar bears, polar bears, they're so pretty and cuddly, and there's one. Uh, <laughs> they got everything here for VBS. This is a perfect message for this. Giraffes with the long necks. Um, and I love it here, but I'm so waiting for what the Lord has for us permanently. You know, I, I love my life. I love my family. I love doing this. But I'm so willing and waiting for the Lord to usher in his new kingdom. And you could see that I, I say it with a smile and with glee and with joy. Because it's going to be so much better than anything we could experience here. Amen? Amen. Something to look forward to. What you have here is undertones of the personification of all creation groaning for it to be freed from the curse of sin. Remember Jesus at his triumphal entry and the people were screaming out the Messiah, Hosanna. And the religious leaders were all grumpy because they were losing their following. And they're saying, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they don't say it, the rocks would cry out. I believe he was not being, at that point, and he did it a lot. He used like metaphors. I don't think he was being metaphorical. I think if nobody said anything, the rocks would have humiliated them and said, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, I don't know how that would have sounded, but you see a lot of personification of nature in the scripture. You know, God loves his creation, and we should love it too. Verse 20 through 21, um, you know, he's, this is his masterpiece of creation. Verse 22, continuing on, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors, with birth pangs together until now. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. He spoke about the end times like this. You know, as a woman in labor, the, the contractions, the, the intensity, the, the time, um, the frequency and intensity just increase and increase until the baby is born. And it's joyous because now there's a baby, a beautiful little baby, and the pain goes away. And Jesus used that as an analogy. So we're seeing, we're seeing intensity. We're seeing frequency. I mean, you know, if we're a Christian for any, if, I think as a Christian, we, I think we can become depressed if we, and some of us are news junkies, always looking at the news. I might look at it and then go, yeah, I got to stop looking at this because it's depressing. You know, we're seeing crazy things happen in our culture. We'll see a, a visceral hatred for the things of God. We're seeing um, things that are going on in public that 50 years ago, we never thought we would have seen. I don't have to go into details. We're seeing, 
you know, all the, all the debates and, and all the things that are happening that are just against God and, you know, against, you know, life. But that's going to change. Looking forward to that. Last few verses, 23. It says, and not only they, now coming back to us, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So four out of four is we come full circle on this adoption thing. Now, sometimes we can read the scripture and go scratch our heads. But he said this, now we're we're not there yet. So let me just throw it out there, paint myself into a corner, and then explain it. So we're adopted, but we're waiting to be adopted. We're only the first fruits of the Spirit, not the whole thing. We're redeemed, but we're waiting for redemption of the body. So what gives? What gives is the difference between the Lord's first and second comings. Okay? That's the difference. Right? We were given a down payment of the Spirit. We were sealed with the Spirit. And the fact that we still sin means that it, it has been completed. When Jesus came the first time, he came to save the most important part of us, which is who we are inside, the spirit, the soul. When he comes again, he's going to remake everything physically, including our bodies. So when we read this, there's a difference between the first coming and the second coming. After the second coming, you're going to see a lot of things change. Actually, between that is the rapture where the the Lord calls his saints up home, 1 Thessalonians 4, or the harpazo, depending on which language we're talking about, which transliteration. Um, and when we go to be with the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, that our bodies will change. Uh, what does he say? That flesh cannot inherit eternal life. We can't go to heaven with these bodies. We just can't. We can't go to heaven with some of the thoughts that come into our head that we wrestle with. We can't. So God is going to change us and completely remake now our bodies too. So body, mind, and spirit will all be in, in unison and in harmony with who he is and his eternal kingdom. You know, um, I don't know. You know, we have one atmosphere of pressure here. We have uh, the forces of gravity. We have physical laws. God's heaven is completely outside of that. Probably if we, I'm just speculating here, if he transported one of us to heaven right now, we might explode. I don't know. We might melt. I don't know. But God is going to change that so those things don't happen. And people say, oh, Christianity, it's just such a simple fairy tale. No, when you actually deep dig deep into it, you realize that some people, when they're learning about it, go, man, I'm confused. This is more complex than I ever thought. Okay, let's go back to <laughs> simple things. All you need to know is that Jesus died for your sins. He loves you that much. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, when you trust in his sacrifice, You're sealed with the Spirit. Your spirit is revived. You're a child of God. You're adopted into God's family. If you know nothing else but that today, that's awesome. As you start to grow in the Lord, these other things will make sense the more you study them. That's why we're born again like babies. It's like we start all over again learning spiritual things. So we are adopted. We are redeemed, but the body has not been fully redeemed yet. Funerals still happen for Christians. Um... And we're going to see some amazing things. That's the exciting part. Whatever you're going through this morning, the exciting part is it's only going to get better. Here, it might get a little worse, but it's only going to get better in God's economy. Good stuff.
So the message is titled, Your Adoption is Finalized. And and there's a lot of families in this church that have, you know, prayed for this child. And they went through either an adoption agency or they went through attorneys or they went through uh, a government, a state agency. And they, Pastor, please pray. I, I so want this child. And they get the letter in the mail and it's official. And they tear it open and it says, your adoption is finalized. And you know what? Nobody can come knocking on the door. Nobody can take that child back. You and that child are inseparable. And that child becomes an heir to everything that you have. Let's make the transition. Your adoption is finalized from the other direction. You believe in Jesus Christ. He has adopted you into the family of God. Jesus did something and many things still. The Holy Spirit does other things as we read. And the Father does even different things. But the cool thing is in the end, it's like welcome home my good and faithful servant. And let's go back to Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Good message to get, all three parts. So this is exciting. And my question is, for those of you that have come to this church, and it's a cool thing, we love you, you can come for years, it's your pace. You want to receive the Lord? That's great. You're still weighing things out, that's great, should be genuine. But you, when you read the scripture, when you come to a Bible-believing church, if you're on the road of life, it all of a sudden is a fork in the road. And the forks are equally 45 degrees? Yes. (laughs) And you can either make one choice or the other, but Jesus said that there's only two paths in life. There's the wide road, You'll notice that the one fork has a wider road, and everybody's on it. A lot of people are on it. And it leads to destruction. There's another part of the fork that's a narrow road. Why are you on this fork? Because now, when you die and and see God, you can't say, well, I never heard this before. Well, you heard it this morning. Jesus died. He loves you. He wants you, not only in his kingdom, but he wants you in his family. And I don't even know what it means fully to be joint heirs with Christ I, like, what are we getting? You know what I'm saying? I know a lot of things that the Bible says that we're getting, but I don't, I don't have the full picture, even as your pastor. I know that there's things that needed to be revealed to us through his word, but there's probably even more exciting things that we don't even know about. The Apostle Paul said that he, was, he had seen a vision, he was taken up into the third heaven, and he said these are things that can't be expressed. Even what he saw, what he experienced, the disciple John, when he, he's given the revelation of God, he saw, he, he rode, he fell down, he got up, he fell down again. This is what happens, man. This is exciting. What did they see? One day we're going to know what they saw because we've been adopted into his family. So I want to encourage you. This isn't out of shame. This is out of love. As we close, consider taking the walk up here and verbally just receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior and welcome to the family of God. You've been adopted. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. 
We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.